What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Dishes and Dimes podcast. I'm your host, Christian Oblena, and today is April 8th, Thursday night. I tried recording this earlier this afternoon, had a little technical difficulties, but we're all good now. I know it's been a little while, so I like to apologize. Just been a little busy recently, uh, the last couple of weeks, but getting back into it. Uh, before we start the episode, I just want to plug my latest article. It is on medium.com under Chris Oblena. So if you just check out my Twitter at Obey Oblena, just uh, it's on there, it's pinned. So it'll take the link will take you right to the story, right to the website. Uh, go check it out. It's about the Brooklyn Nets, the 2021 Brooklyn Nets, and why they should be presented at the NBA's as, as the NBA's villain. I know that that narrative has been tossed around uh, recently, especially with the bio guys getting Blake Griffin, Lamarcus Aldridge, even though they're in different phases of their career. Um, just how everything has kind of panned out for the Nets this year. I wouldn't say it's congruent to how the Warriors were built in 2017, but there's a lot of very similar stories and similar things to kind of sports hate about some of these guys on this team. And I kind of deep dive into that. And I know it's kind of a long read if you check out the article, but please, please give it some love, share with your friends, all that good stuff. Um, More articles to come later this season. So Yes, we are 50 games into the NBA season. There's a little less than a third left. Uh, the last 20, 22-ish games, we are around game 50 of a 72-game season. Now this, this is when the playoff race is going to start to heat up. I mean, it's we have you know the playing tournaments. We have all these teams trying to fight for the 7 to, through 10 spot. Uh, whether that seating will change is very dramatic just because, you know, the seventh and eighth seed, they have to win one game instead of the nine and 10 seed having to win two in a row. You have last night, the Jazz and the Suns, you know, the top two teams in the West competing. And that was a great game in overtime, which I'll go back to later on in the episode. But today's episode is just about, you know, we're 50 games into the season. It's kind of the final stretch, the last third of the season. Where are we? You know, where are we with it with these, you know, top especially these top teams fighting for the playoffs? Every game is gonna count a lot more than it did back in January and February. You know, now we're starting to round out these rosters with buyout guys. And obviously we're a couple weeks after the trade deadline. And so it's just gonna start to heat up. Uh are the Jazz going to stay at the number one spot? You know, this Philly Brooklyn thing, who takes the number one spot? I, I think it's going to be really important just because now, you know, fans are starting to get back in the building. Uh, even, you know, the hometown Warriors, they just announced today that they're planning to have 35% capacity of fans on April 23rd. The first day that fans can come to the building, that is going to be against the Denver Nuggets in Chase Center. So I'm going to try really, really hard to get a spot into that game or just one of these last nine home games that they have when it's opened up. So 
it's going to be really important that these teams, especially the top four, they get that, you know, home court advantage. I'm guessing the LA teams will be able to get fans in the building in Staples Center because of California just opening up a lot more, uh, whether they, you know, make Staples safer uh, than Chase or whatnot. I know there's a lot of protocols, but, you know, a lot of these teams are going to have crowds in the building. So to grab those top spots is really important. Um, But I just wanted to break down some interesting points and and questions that I kind of formulated and have been thinking about, especially with uh, these eight teams are going to be, I'm going to be mentioning and talking about and why, you know, some of these points are going to really tell if they can, you know, take it to that next level, make it to the finals. Cause I, I think realistically, all of these eight teams have some sort of chance of making it to the finals. So let's get started with the Utah Jazz. Yes, the first place team in the West and in the league record-wise. Um, I just saw that overtime game last night between them and the Suns. And I just want to bring up some interesting things about the Jazz and their crunch time offense. And it's pretty simple. It's all about Donovan Mitchell. If Mitchell has a ball, he's going to try and create a shot for himself uh, more often than not. It looked like last night he was playing a lot of hero ball, especially at the end of the fourth. I I know he hit a tough shot, the leaning like pull up three pointer to tie the game there. But, um, you know, if you pull some stats from NBA.com, he's 44% usage rate in the clutch that ranks at number six. And when I check the stats, there's a few outliers at the top of the list. Like Frank Nilakina was number one usage rate. And, uh, you know, once we start getting past those outliers, we get to see, you know, Mitchell at six. I saw Trey Young at eight, I believe. I think it was Mitchell and then Levine at seven, which makes sense. Levine is kind of carrying the late game Bulls offense uh, for most of the season now that uh, Vucevic is there now, but yeah, you know, Mitchell's there at number six. The net rating is actually negative. It's at negative 1.7. So pretty much almost two points. Um, the jazz are losing those minutes or those clutch time minutes by, by two points. And you could kind of find different examples throughout the year, right? We saw last night against the Suns. We saw you know, right before the all-star break for, you know, the Jazz and Sixers game, that one where Joel hit the, like, step back three to send into overtime and the Sixers end up winning in overtime. And, you know, with this Mitchell late game shot taking, we just don't know how sustainable that is given his size and just how tough his shots are. At, at the end of shot clocks or at the end of the game, like he's always taking these tough contested three point shots and he doesn't have the quickest release and he's not, he doesn't have the same touch as a Clay Thompson, as, as a Steph Curry, as these, you know, elite, elite shooters. Like he's a great scorer, but I don't think anyone would really call him an elite shooter. And so it just doesn't seem like this is something that, 
the Jazz can rely on down the stretch in a seven-game series. And, you know, Utah has been more of a collective than being a team that's led by one or two particular stars. Even though Mitchell and Gobert are their all-stars, I would much rather see more, you know, more mix-ups, I guess, for the offense. You know, putting the ball in Conley's hands, who in the crunch time has a 22% usage rate. So that's literally half as much as Mitchell. And I don't know if maybe it's a Quinn Snyder thing, if it's a team thing, if, you know, Mitchell and and the rest of the team kind of agreed upon that, you know, you are going to be the guy to have the ball in their hands. That may not be something that I know, obviously, but I would like to see, you know, just to see them mix it up. Uh, Conley can is a great decision maker. He's a vet. He knows it'll play the point guard position, obviously, and it, it seems like he can get better shots for others down the stretch. Like if if Mitchell, I'm I'm all for Mitchell taking those last second shots, but maybe to make it easier on him, have the ball in Conley's hands, you know, run a set for him. I know the end of the games you don't really run sets uh, in playoff basketball. You kind of it's kind of up to the best players to win that game, but. Just to see them mix it up, just because, you know, Mitchell is in KD. He's not 6'11. He can't shoot over dudes. He's barely 6'4 and uh, not an incredible shooter. So, you know, take that as you may. Another quick pointer the Jazz are actually first in pick and roll frequency at 23%, and they score 42% of the time at one point per possession. Well, 0.99, but. I'll just run it up to one. Uh, next up is the Phoenix Suns. The Chris Paul effect is real. The team, even for how young they are, other than Chris Paul and Crowder, are just so calm and composed at the end of games. Like Chris Paul allows them to play at their own pace. He gets them in the right positions and most importantly allows Devin Booker to just be himself to score. Chris Paul had no problem giving up the rock to Booker uh, last night in the closing minutes. Booker had a chance to win the game at the end. Um, took a tough three-point shot over Mitchell, I believe. Mitchell or Ingles. One of the two. Even in OT, Chris Paul still had the ability to get his shot off. He has, you know, that little dribble pull-up. The little mid-range uh, fadeaway that he takes almost like a like a slingshot catapult type shot from like over his head and sometimes he just looks like he's in a 45 degree angle shooting those shots um he always has like this top of the key three that always ends up going in at the most opportune times right and it was really apparent to me that cp3 was kind of giving these shots to booker you know, giving him these opportunities to kind of be the guy at the end of the game because I think in Paul's eyes, he knows that Booker is going to be that guy. He's going to be that quote-unquote Kobe to, you know, to take those dramatic last-minute crunch time shots. And Booker, for as great as he is now, at, you know, at the age of, I think he's 23, 24, he still hasn't had a taste 
of the playoffs. And so now the Suns are fighting for the number one seed. And so the organization has just been flipped upside down with the arrival of Chris Paul. And he wants to give Booker these opportunities to just be that guy at the end of the game. And once he gets more comfortable in these big games and gets more reps like he did last night in Utah, he'll just be a much more, you know, complete player, especially down the stretch in a big game. And you can't forget about Monty Williams. Um, He's a great coach for this team, really underrated this year. And I would not be surprised if he's a leading candidate to win coach of the year. Let's move on to the Los Angeles Clippers, who just got Rajon Rondo at the trade deadline and just signed DeMarcus Cousins to a 10-day contract. Uh, I mean, they needed a guy like Rondo all season long, and they finally have their guy. Um, I'm watching him right now uh, against the Suns tonight, and uh, you know, it seems crazy to think that Rondo will probably be one of the biggest X factors for this team other than probably Paul George, but it's looking like he will be, you know, is playoff Rondo still a thing? Is, is that player still in him somewhere? And I wouldn't be surprised if it is. And but I also wouldn't be surprised if it isn't, you know, he's not going to be afraid to butt heads with anyone, you know, and to let anyone know how he feels about certain things they do on the court. I'm sure Tyloo is going to let Rondo lead some huddles, kind of let him be that vocal leader because we know Kawhi and Paul George aren't going to be that guy. And we know Tyloo isn't going to be that guy either as a coach. It's really obvious to see, you know, that PG is, is going to be the biggest difference for them. Kawhi has proven to be the best player on a title team when the circumstances around him are right. You know, circumstances like having a vocal leader, you got Rondo. Having a clear number two and supporting cast, you know, you got Paul George, you got the vets, you got Serge Ibaka. Nick Batum has been uh, a nice little story for them, revitalizing his, revitalizing his career, kind of. And a coach that will allow him to be who he is late in games, and Ty Lue is a player's coach, and he's going to let him do that. Paul George's performance and decision-making will make or break this Clipper team in the playoffs. There's no in-between. Even though Kawhi was part of the reason they kind of fell apart in that Denver series last year, I don't think he has anything else to prove to anyone, to the league, to the team, to all these doubters. I think Paul George is a guy that has to prove him, prove all the haters wrong. Like he has to be the guy that... He's going to have so many chances, so many big moments in this playoffs if the Clippers are that team to make it to the finals or at least be there. Uh, Last year was such a disappointing time for them. And I mean, that's it. It's not. He's going to have all the shots. He's going to have all the opportunity. Whether they can capitalize it or capitalize on it or not is kind of a question to be answered later on. I mean, just a small thing. Uh, with this Clippers team, they need to figure out this like Reggie Jackson, Luke Kennard, Terrence Mann, this like weird little thing that ha- like who's going to be like that eighth, ninth man for them. You know, you got 
Pat Bev, you got Paul George. Well, actually, Pat Bev, who knows? Like maybe Rondo just takes over that <laughs> that Pat Bev spot. Um, maybe if Rondo's hitting his threes in the playoffs, like you can say goodbye to Patrick Beverly minutes, you know? Rondo, Pat Bev, Kawhi, Paul George, Ibaka, Zubots. You know, that's six guys already. Batum, seven. Is it Reggie Jackson? Is it Luke Kennard at eight, nine? Like, now we're just getting into like a nine, ten man lineup, which I don't think is going to be that great. In the playoffs, you know, you kind of need that eight, really, really solid eight to nine man lineup uh, to win a championship, in my opinion. You just have your, you know, a coach just has those guys and we'll just stick with them, right? They need to figure out this thing because they're paying Luke Kennard like 16. I mean, I, I'd even forgot Marcus Morris, right? Marcus Morris. So that's an eight guy lineup. And then nine would be like Jackson. Maybe Bev is out. But the fact that I'm still kind of naming like 10, 11 guys at this point to figure out eight to nine spots. I mean, that's a later problem, but they really need to figure that out because it's just, it's putting these dudes out of rhythm and role guys just need that rhythm. They, they need that continuity to stay effective. And you could look, you could look every single year, uh, look at every single year and just find these dudes like Boris Diaw in 2014. Uh, obviously, Andre Godala, Sean Livingston for the Warriors. Uh, you got Fred Van Fleet for the Raptors in the Toronto series. You know, you just need these guys to be consistent. And if they're not getting consistent rotation minutes and consistent belief from their coach and teammates, it's just not going to work. Uh, the next one is pretty quick. It's it's the Lakers. Let's stay in LA. It's pretty simple. I don't care how much longer LeBron and AD are out. If they are fully healthy, they will be one of, if not the leading candidate to make it out of the West. That's just how good and how in sync this team is. Other than recently, you know, the Mark Gasol stuff with his frustrations with getting uh, less playing time. You know, Drummond's there now. And those two guys, I think there's room for both of them to be playing, in my opinion. I mean, I, w- I would expect Drummond will be their crunch time center. Unless the free throw shooting and maybe defense isn't up to par. But it's not like Gasol is a much better defender. <laughs> Then Drummond, uh, Gasol might be better offensively, but just the Pierce, I mean, having Drummond and Davis, you know, no one's getting offensive boards on you. You could probably dominate the rebounding game for most of the game, but Gasol has that, adds that different dynamic of a passing and, uh, and IQ, you know, even though there's, there's a lack of athleticism there. It just looks like the classic case of, you know, one of them will be playing the center spot depending on the particular matchup, even though every year we say AD is best at the five and LeBron is at best at the four. Not every year, but every year of Anthony Davis's career, it seems like he's much better at the five, but he kind of refuses to play the five. And we see that because he, he's he's always crashing into bodies and, and getting injured here and there. Maybe Gasol is in there against like a less mobile big like Gobert or an inexperienced guy like Aiden, but you know, 
I'm not afraid of, or if I'm a Lakers fan, like I'm not worried about KCP. I'm not worried about Markeith Morris. I'm not worried about Alex Caruso. I'm not worried about any of these guys not staying ready because that's just what they do. They just stay ready, right? As long as they're able to kind of keep afloat, stay in that five, six range until LeBron and them and AD come back, then they're in really good shape. Uh, The Nuggets. This is the last team in the West that I'm going to be calling a legit contender. Getting Aaron Gordon is only going to get better as the last third of the season rolls through. They've been able to run already like really cool and interesting stats on offense that confuse a defense like this three five pick and roll where or five three pick and roll where Gordon is setting the screen for Jokic and Jokic kind of creates off of that Gordon is a great backdoor cutter he's just a great cutter in general he's a great slasher he's athletic he defends at a pretty high level he's not like a you know lockdown defender and I mean Jeremy Grant wasn't either so I don't know I think we just always, if you look at the numbers from Jeremy Grant, defensively, he was just kind of average and above average, even though he's super athletic and stuff. But their offense just looks a lot smoother and effective. Like when you're watching Nuggets for the the rest of the year, just look at the off-ball movement. Look at the cutting. Like it just reminds you of like 2017 Warriors where the whole team is just in sync. And it's it gets really, really interesting when, you know, you have Jokic there with the ball kind of, you know, handling traffic and Murray screening for Porter or Porter's uh, screening for Gordon and Gordon's cutting off of it. And, and then Porter kind of spots up in the corner and then you have Murray at the top of the key. You just have so many offensive options and the more they play together, the more it's going to look smoother and they run the least amount of pick and roll in the league along with the Warriors. Um, it's just beautiful to watch. And getting Gordon didn't really solve their defensive issues. Uh, JaVale McGee is going to have to be that guy, not to solve it, but to kind of help. I mean, this Nuggets team isn't going to be an, an top tier defensive team. Um, but defense already nowadays is kind of just forgotten uh, for some teams. You know, McGee, uh, Paul Millsap, Michael Green, those are three guys that's going to have to hold down the fort during a seven-game series. Is it doable? Yeah, but they're going to need a lot from them considering all the threats in the West. Now, let's go on to the East. Let's start off with Milwaukee. It seems like we're going to be talking about the same old thing with the Bucks. you know, even last year, uh, even 2019, I guess you could say when they were up 2-0 against the Raptors in the Eastern Conference Finals. The same conversation about the Bucks' chances in the playoffs come down to the same couple of things, right? Is Giannis going to be the guy that propels them to the finish line? Or will he be the guy that ends up hindering them? Will Coach Bud be willing to change defensive schemes? Uh, you know, like his infamous drop coverage? Or, you know... In a league where some of the best players and teams run high pick and roll to generate their shots, you think Coach Bud would learn how to counteract those actions with that, you know, running more athletic bigs like Giannis? I I just have this belief that Giannis in the playoffs should be their five. I don't think Brook Lopez should be the guy 
you know, late in the game for them. It's just, I just don't think it's going to work. He's, he's not athletic. He, he's not even shooting that great from three. I think he's around 33, 34% from the year against guys like Kevin Durant, James Harden, Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, all these like really elite shot creators at the end of the games. Is Brooke Lopez the guy that you want defending them? Or is Brooke Lopez the guy that you want taking those those last shots? The biggest hope that I have for the Bucks, if I'm a Bucks fan, is that PJ Tucker is going to be able to take those Lopez minutes during crunch time. It's going to take a while to kind of develop the chemistry with him, especially with the other four, with DiVincenzo and, and Middleton and Drew Holiday. But it just looks like such a better lineup, such a more defensive, you know, versatile, uh, mobile uh, five-man lineup. Having Giannis as their lone big kind of creates so much space. It, it just defensively, imagine just Giannis roaming and if he has to guard a guy like Embiid, maybe have Brook Lopez in, but that's kind of the only matchup that I think that you know they need a guy like Brook Lopez against, especially against the Nets. Especially against the Nets, you're gonna want PJ Tucker in there. Imagine like a PJ Tucker versus James Harden, uh, you know, defensive matchup there. I think that'll be really fun. They are a couple interesting things is that the Bucks are the most or they are the best team in transition. Uh, they score the most points in transition out of everyone in the league. If I'm Coach Bud, you know, having lineups that can have more defensive versatility and mobility just seems like the best way for them to win. You probably get more transition opportunities with a faster and more lengthy team as a lineup out there. And hopefully they can adapt for the playoffs. And if they don't, they'll just end up the same way they have in the last two years. They just extended uh, Zhu Holiday on a max deal uh, yesterday, and it could be a great big three for them in the future, but they need to at least play toe-to-toe against Brooklyn to feel hopeful about the future, in my opinion. Let's go on to Philadelphia, the Sixers. I've liked the makeup of this team the whole year. And more importantly, I've liked their crunch time lineup. It's a great mix of shot creation, defense, and clutch shooting. Um, having a bead as a Shaq 2.0 that can create off the dribble and just and in the post and, and can spot over three as a 7-2 guy is pretty ridiculous. You you just hope that he stays healthy and in rhythm throughout the playoffs. Having a guy like Tobias Harris in a role that he's comfortable in. Uh, helps them tremendously because he was kind of used last year as like a spot up three point shooter, which is not his, which he can do, but you kind of need him putting the ball on the floor and creating for himself and for others. It seems like time and time again, uh, you know, Tobias can just get to his spots. Like it, there's so many examples throughout the year where late in the game, late in the shot clock, he's getting it right there into his spots in the mid-range. He had a nice game winner against the Lakers. Um, he closed out, I remember, against the Warriors uh, in the last couple weeks. And time and time again, he's just that guy. And then having guys like Danny Green and Seth Curry, you know, late-game shot takers, 
Curry has experience with Dallas last year. He was in the West Conference Finals against his own brother, Steph, uh, when he was in Portland in 2019. So I'm not worried about those guys. The only thing I worry about with the Sixers is their depth. You know, who is their one reliable guy off the bench? I know they, they, they just got George Hill from the trade deadline. You know, they still have Shake Milton, Furkan Korkmaz, uh, Dwight Howard, Matisse Thibel. Those are the five guys off the bench that will be fighting for those playoff minutes. And most likely, I think George Hill, Thibel, and Dwight are kind of the safest guys to have and maybe have a toss-up between Milton and Korkmaz depending if one of them is hot or depending on the matchup, but Milton and Korkmaz will be hunted defensively. When they are on the floor, I guarantee you they will be hunted defensively. Are any of these guys going to be an instant impact off the bench? Maybe George Hill, Dwight in certain matchups, right? That question is yet to be answered. Uh, I thought getting a buyout guy or getting Lowry in a trade was going to change their destiny drastically. And they couldn't get, you know, either of those things. I have no doubt that Doc Rivers and the coaching staff will put these players in the right positions positions to succeed. It's just, it's just really up to the team and how they respond in big moments, right? They fell super short in 2019. They just had their first taste in 2018. And then last year, you know, without Ben Simmons and this really weird Brett Brown team, you know, this is the year, not maybe to win it all, but this is the year to like taste the Eastern Conference finals, taste maybe a finals berth since, since AI, right? Um, the Sixers are just another team like the Bucks that are in the top tier of the transition teams. Uh, I think they're, they're number six, I believe in transition uh, playoff games have slow, slower paces, so you know adjusting to that will be a huge, huge tell. Is Ben Simmons going to be effective in in the late game uh, on offense? Is he just going to be a screener or just standing around? Um, how will they defend him? They'll probably give him gaps. They'll probably make him take a bunch of shots. So he's got to be ready for that. And then last but not least, we got Brooklyn. Nothing else has to be said for this team. Other than can they finally get their big three to play together? It seems like forever since Kyrie, Harden, and KD played together at the same time. I mean, we saw KD last night for the first time in two months and he looked great. Didn't look look like he lost a step. Didn't look like he was rusty. He was the first points he had was off a of pin down and a uh, nice little mid-range shot. And that will never leave him until he... Until he's like 90 years old, he'll he'll always have that mid-range jumper. And, you know, with these hamstrings and Achilles things, these injuries, we'll never know how bad it is when we're watching on TV. So I really won't be surprised if somehow Katie has to miss another week, you know, later on in the season or if, or he has to take back-to-backs off. And if Harden's hamstring doesn't heal in, ten, in this 10-day period, he's supposedly out for Maybe he's out for another couple more days. You know, you just hope that if you're a Nets fan, that they're just fully healthy by the time the playoffs roll around. You don't have time to waste when you're this team that's chasing a title, especially in their first year together. You don't have time in the first or second round to be getting back into shape, getting back into getting back 
to your, you know, your crunch time rotations, your, your final five guys, your chemistry, you like, you don't have time for that, especially in the playoffs. You need to do that in the regular season. I mean, you could do it, but you shouldn't wait that long, especially with a first year head coach with the first time any of these guys are playing together at the same time. I know they have smart veterans. Obviously, Blake and LaMarcus are former all-stars, but they're in a different phase of their career. You just hope that they have a fully healthy final stretch of the season to finally pick up some chemistry and reps that they literally didn't have throughout the throughout the whole entire season. Um, but that's about it. Uh, I think these eight teams are... Are legit contenders. You can convince me on a Miami Heat run again if Victor Ladipo can kind of find his footing and fit in with this team. And if this team is fully healthy, you can convince me the Heat. But they're so far down the the standings right now, they need to make a run because in the first round they're gonna probably face a team like I think they're gonna face well i think they're gonna creep up to the four spot so let's start off with that they're gonna be end up playing like brooklyn or philly in the second round if they make it past the first round matchup but you know it's a later problem if they make it up to four then we could talk about it more off more but you know that's my thing so those are the title contenders i have brooklyn philly milwaukee Denver, both LA teams, Phoenix, and Utah. Thanks for waiting on the episode once again. Just been tied up with other things the last couple weeks. But look out for more episodes coming up soon. Check out my article on my Twitter at Obeoblena once again. And until next time, enjoy the last third of the season. It's going to get really spicy. So let's do it. Until next time, peace. Peace.